Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Ho, ho, ho. Welcome, everyone, to the From the Shadows podcast. I am your host, Shane Grove. And with me, as always, is the super elf, Jason. Greetings, everyone. <laughs> I I was hoping you'd give a, like, a little like elfin hello. I mean, no. Nope, not happening. <laughs> <laughs> well, geez, we hope everybody... Uh, I think this will be coming out Christmas Eve. Has a good Christmas Eve, a good Christmas, despite uh, our resident Grinch, Jason. Um, He's a mean yeah. one, Mister Grinch. Mister Grinch, yes, <laughs> yes. And uh, and but before we get started here, you know, I got a text message from one of our favorite all-time guests, Mister uh, Stacy Brown, down in Florida, Jason. Oh, what do you got to say? What's he talking about? He just he just gave us a shout. He just wanted to, to tell me he was uh, uh, binging on some of our episodes. He's doing a little uh, uh, Uber driving. Okay, you oh, yeah. you imagine you imagine calling an Uber and and Stacy Brown comes to pick you up, man. <laughs> yeah, that would be <laughs> you know what? I think I think I'm gonna go down there and hang out with him for a little bit, and I'm gonna call uh, him as my Uber driver too. I'm gonna do that. That would be <laughs> that would be fantastic. Like, yeah. like there's got to be a surcharge for hat for getting him. I mean, that would be the best Uber drive ever. So, so I want to get so if. Hopefully, Stacy's li- driving somebody while the, he plays this episode, and uh, his passenger understands just how special this ride is. 
that he's uh that he's had. And we got and Jason, I I think we got some we got something special planned with uh, Stacy in the new year that I think our our longtime listeners will be very anxious to uh, hear that episode that uh, Stacy and I talked about a little bit. So. I'm not even going to tell you. So there, how about that? Well, I'm going to tell you. I will make it happen. Put it that way. <laughs> so before we introduce our guest, I just want to remind everybody, besides having a Merry Christmas, um, stay safe. And we will stay safe. We will have a, and we will have a new year's Eve show too. There'll be a new year's Eve show. So you can really spend the, uh, spend the holidays in the shadows, so to speak. Um, but if uh, if you've had an experience, please get a hold of us on our social media, the From the Shadows podcast Facebook page, the After the Shadows Facebook page forum. Find me, Shane Grove, author on Instagram. Find our uh, From the Shadows podcast Instagram page, or just go to our website and click the contact button and send us an email. And uh, I mean, I, since the last episode, I probably gotten five different messages from people that have crazy good stories to tell. Um, and Bob, who's going to join us here is, is from is some of that group. I believe, you know, he, he kind of reached out to us and uh, maybe I put him on the spot. I don't know. Well, we'll get the real story here once we introduce him. So uh, without further ado, let's welcome Bob from Akron, Ohio. Welcome on the show, Bob. Thank you guys for having me. It's my pleasure. No, it's a, hey, it's our pleasure. Um, Definitely anybody that wants to come on and share their experiences with us. I mean, we are, uh, we're thrilled and our fans are always thrilled to to hear these kind of experiences. So, so, so Bob, let's get into it. Tell, tell everyone why we got you on the show. Well, um, I happened to reach out and let everybody know that I basically grew up with the Ohio grass man. Um, I listened to the show about the gentleman from Georgia and a lot of the experiences he was having down there between him and his neighbor were basically the same experiences I heard about growing up or actually happened to me while I was growing up. So, I mean, it dates as far back as, um, I believe my father said it was 1960 that the first, their first encounter with the Ohio Grassman happened. And um, it, it spanned all the way to the mid nineties. And we had some, a couple Bigfoot researchers come up and, do some tests and that's where they found. And at that time, I believe it was the only one that was documented the Bigfoot nest that now everybody finds, or now they know what they are. Let's put it that way. But, um, yeah, um, I guess the, the first story that was ever told to me was back in 19 or the story was from 1960. I wasn't around in 1960. Um, my uncle, my two uncles were down at the Ohio Erie Canal, which was where we lit, where my dad and his family lived. There was a giant chunk of woods and then the Ohio Erie Canal ran through there and they were down there fishing. And there was a, we called it the footbridge, 
what it was was a drain pipe that crossed over the canal with the metal grate on it. And one of my uncles had his back to the woods and was fishing. And my other uncle was standing on the bridge facing him. And this thing stood up beside the bridge and reached over the bridge and actually put his hand on my uncle's shoulder. And that was the family introduction to the grass man. <laughs> oh, okay. That's incredible. Well, the, their ages were 14 and 16 at that time. So they were still kids as well. What was the, I mean, geez. Ah, so the, so this, the big Bigfoot reached up from below the bridge and reached it was, up. And it, stood up. it was on the bank. Like I said, okay. the drain pipe runs over the, the water. So it keeps going, you know, after the bank. I guess it stood up beside the drain pipe and was still taller than my uncle on the bridge and just kind of placed his hand over and um, touched his shoulder. And then what? So <laughs> they basically, from see, here's the thing. From what I heard on that, the end of that story was they basically dropped their gear and ran home without feet touching the ground. I mean, I can only imagine if that would have been me. I probably just would have fainted right then and there. It would have been over. You know, he would have had me for lunch. <laughs> that that would have been it. But you know, these are the stories that I grew up with them telling me. Now, here's the thing. I When the, these stories were being told, I'm thinking, okay, this is just our parents' way of keeping us out of the woods. You know, mm -hmm. quick, don't go down there and cause mischief. Well, the uncle that was literally touched never denied the story. Um, my grandfather never denied the story that they were scared to death when they came home. But the uncle that was facing this thing when it did this denied it up until two Thanksgivings ago. Really? So so you've questioned now, are they both still living? Uh, one of them is. Okay. The but, one that was touched is deceased. But Okay. So what was your uncle? What was the uncle that saw its reason for not admitting it to it until 50 years later? Um, I have my opinion. Um, he, my dad and my uncle that was touched were really, really close. We, you know, now I was close to his sons, you know, it was, and we spent a lot of time in my grandfather's, the uncle that saw it. I don't ever remember in my lifetime, him going back in those woods mm. where all of us did. So, you know, it to his kids, he denied it to me. Whenever the subject would come up, he'd you know just excuse himself from the conversation. And it was Thanksgiving, I think, three years ago, might have been three years ago, that he finally admitted to it at the table after dinner, playing a, a game. He admitted to it, and his family's reaction were, was priceless. I mean, they turned white as a ghost, like this is their. First time ever hearing the story, even though that we've all told him, he just never admitted it. Um, they turned white as a ghost. And inside, it, it sent chills up my spine. Even though I've heard the story over and over and over and over, 
him finally admitting it sent chills. It was. <laughs> now, let me ask you this. You say he never admitted it, but he did he just flat out deny it or did he just not ever? He even? would never answer. Okay. He, he wouldn't deny it, but he would just never answer. He would never discuss it. He wouldn't talk about it. You know, it's like he had, if you, if you flat out asked him, Hey, um, uncle Trace, did you see the grass man? You would not get an answer. He would act like he didn't hear you or he'd just stare at you. He would never answer the question. Wow. So your uncle that was tough. Well, here's the thing is your uncle that was pro that probably the one that didn't get touched, he probably got a lot better view of what happened than your uncle that got touched. I'm guessing because, yeah, if, because basically from what I've heard, my uncle that was touched turned his head and seen this hand had fingers and all hand on it, you know, coming down toward his shoulder. And just as it was about to touch, he took off and the fingers across the shoulder, you know, like he ran through the, the hand. Um, I don't know if it was going to just basically put his hand on the shoulder. Hey, how you doing? Or if it had malicious intent, but as you'll hear later on, I don't think there's anything malicious about this. Well, let's be honest. If it had malicious intent, it would have got a hold of him. Exactly. <laughs> I got you. Yep, you, you, have to, you, you have to, you have to almost think that I hate to think that, but I just, I just got to think that your uncle that saw it happen is probably been sh shell shocked this whole time because it'd be like seeing a baby wandering out into traffic and just getting missed, getting hit by a car, you yeah, know, like yeah, even yeah. though nothing bad happened, you're, you're replaying that in your mind. Like, Oh my God, that could have went bad so quick. You know, you know, and that might explained, you know, later on was, you know, his kids were getting older, why he didn't have them over there as much as like my dad did or my uncle did, because all this was around my grandfather's house. And I, I would spend summers over there at my grandfather's. Um, my uncle that was touched lived on and off at my grandfather's. So he was almost like a second dad to me. You know, I mean, him and my dad were that close. They were like brothers, but best friends at the same time. And I mean, it, the, the things that happened on that house, I mean, the, the story about the guy in Georgia with the ball of light, um, where my grandfather lived, um, he was the last house on the street. And then the street went to the left and in between him and that bend in the left, there was just a pump house. And then the road and then woods and then the Erie canal and then houses on the other side of the canal. But as you go down the road, the only thing that was down there was like one house and a junkyard. That was the only thing down there. And it just, the, the stories that we heard, um, people going down there, teenagers basically to park or consume beverages that they weren't allowed to have at that time in their life. Um, would be down there and my dad and uncles would make a joke. I give it a half hour and they would <laughs> hightail it, you know, fishtailing around the bend and everything. And the road was never kept up. It was a bumpy dirt road. So if you were doing 30 mile an hour, you're tearing up your car. 
and these these guys would just fly around that corner and straight up to Main Street and be gone. So, you know, there was an ongoing family joke. Well, Raspin introduced himself again. Now, we don't know see, if that's what happened see, down there, but... <laughs> that's what I was going to ask. So, you think it was a grass man or um ball of light or something? Well, we had a ball of light. My grandfather told me a story that he had a real narrow, but long backyard. And like I said, his, he was the last house on the street. And he had told us that he seen on several occasions... A ball of light, I don't want to say fly, but more like hover down his driveway all the way through the middle of the backyard and just hover out by the end, you know, toward the end of his backyard. And then it would just, it wouldn't like flash out, it would dissipate and just be gone. And it happened several times. And what. Okay, so if they, what was their opinion on that, or did they have an opinion? Because my my grandfather, my dad, my uncles, you know, even the one that denied the Bigfoot said the house was haunted. They had to remove every door inside the house except the bathroom door because the doors would latch, and you'd be sitting there in the living room watching TV or whatever. You would see the doorknob turn, and the door would open. Then you'd see the door shut, and you'd see the, you know, how the older doors, when they latch, the doorknob would wiggle. Mm-hmm. You'd see all that happen. The only room that had a door in the house was a bathroom, and it had one of those old bolt locks on it. And you better bolt lock it when you're in there, because it will open up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, no privacy, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so here you got your your dad and your uncles growing up in a wood in a haunted house surrounded by woods that they had That's experience big. with Bigfoot. Yep. Now, before we get into some more of the stuff, I mean, do so obviously most of them are believers in the paranormal and, and cryptids if they're experiencing that themselves. But did they think, did they think there was any, any, um, like the balls of light and the, and the Bigfoot activity, did they think they were connected or they just coexisted? They didn't think they were connected until I heard your show about the gentleman in Georgia. Really? And when okay. I explain that, you know, it's okay, I believe in somewhat of a coincidence, but, okay, what the gentleman experienced in Georgia, we experienced up here. You know, the lights, the Bigfoot, the, you know, just the, the eerie feeling, you know, and <laughs> so if I almost... This is just my my opinion, okay? I'm not trying to reach out or force this down anyone's throat. But I almost think the balls of light is... That's going to sound even weirder than when I thought about it. A way of showing the Bigfoot, okay, it's okay to show yourself to this one. 
Oh, okay. So, so, so maybe it's a, it's a scout. Like you're like thinking it's a, it's a interdimensional, maybe scout for the Bigfoot saying, okay, these guys are okay. Like showing the way, you know, I don't know. I don't have any other explanation. If it's a coincidence, it's a pretty darn big one. (laughs) Well, I mean, I listen, I mean, obviously, I mean, if you listen to us, probably you listen to Wes on Sasquatch Chronicles and he has really become in the last couple of years, super open to the whole prospect of the balls of light being connected to uh, Bigfoot activity. And, mm-hmm. and it's just more of hearing so many people's stories where the two things are, you know, they're happening at the same time or real close to the same time. And mm-hmm. um, in fact, they had a gentleman on who, was it was a uh, representative of the, I believe it was a B, BFRO who was like the, the I forget what region he was, but he came on the show to say like the BFRO, at least where he was, would not let him put anything in reports that talked about lights because they didn't want that narrative um they didn't want to. They didn't want to muddy the waters. I guess in their mind that. But here's my issue: if it's happening, it's happening. I I agree one hundred percent. Like like, and nobody's saying, "Hey, I saw a ball of light, and then I saw a Bigfoot, and I know that's you know, they were together." Okay, yeah. um, but you have to if you have unusual or paranormal experiences. I mean. It's a quite a coincidence, like you said, for them to both be happening at at the same time, you know. So they're they're, I mean, who knows? I mean, nobody knows that if they're combined. Maybe somebody does know that they're combined. I don't know, but it's we're all just we're all just guessing right now. Well, I I think there's a strong correlation to it because we've heard that from uh, other guests. And from other people's experiences uh, that we've looked into, so there there definitely is a correlation there, whether we want to acknowledge it or well, not. Well, unfortunately, probably until somebody sees a Bigfoot crawl out of a ball of light, then there then it's people are going to argue that they have nothing to do with each other. So, and there's going to be a camp that's going to argue that there is a very strong correlation that when you're going to see one, you're going to see another one not too far away. I mean, I would even go yeah. as far as this, guys. You can stretch it this far. Um, we're in agreement that Bigfoot have some intelligence behind them, right? Absolutely, yes. If if certain people that don't believe in the paranormal never experience anything paranormal, they're like closed off to it. Mm-hmm. Maybe Bigfoot can almost be the same way. I mean, they're a master of camouflage. Mm-hmm. I mean, if, if if they could teach the U.S. Army how to camouflage, I might re-enlist. But <laughs> if we could, if you look at it that okay, if you're open and experience paranormal things, maybe that same mindset lets you experience Bigfoot encounters. True. You know, maybe yeah. they're not tied together, but you almost have to be open to it. Yeah, and if in 
I mean, look, we talk to people all the time that are, that are, um, you know, psychic that are, that can, you know, feel stuff, um, empaths. Um, so who's to say that if, if we believe that these creatures are more than just monkeys running around, because even monkeys running around, you, they, they can teach some of them sign language and, and mm-hmm. skills to solve puzzles. Okay. So they're not like a slug out in, yeah. on a log. Okay. Who's to say their, their minds are any, are that much different than ours. And the part of our brain that allows some people to be psychic, uh, empaths, uh, you know, all the different, uh, ways that people can, you know, predict the future, see the future, see the, you know, yeah, the intuitive communicate. Yes. Yeah. That this creature doesn't have the same aspects and, and maybe they have a slightly different aspect where, yeah, you're right. They can test the waters and see if, uh, how we're going to react to a ball of light. And maybe if we, maybe if we don't go nuts over a ball of light, well, maybe, yeah, it's okay. Maybe I can show myself. These guys are open to the experience. I don't know. You know, we, like I said, we had several experiences in the house. Um, (laughs) I got to tell this story. Uh, When we were living there, we lived in the room. And the basement was off the, right by the kitchen door. You come down the steps, there's a window at the bottom of the steps, which is about two foot off the ground on the driveway side of the house. And you come down the steps, there's like eight steps, and then you make a right turn, and there's three more steps around the basement floor. Well, my grandparents had a, I guess it was a fruit cellar or something in the basement, and you know the old heating ducts, the round pipes before they got compact and square? And Well, this yep. was a yep. round pipe that went right through the door of the fruit cellar. So they had to cut the corner off the fruit cellar door, you know, for the door to open and close when they put the door in. Well, the door would scrape on that heating duct. You literally had to pull it open from the outside or if you're inside the fruit cellar, you had to put some force on it to push it open. Well, right where that door opened on the other side of the fruit cellar there, right off mine and my brother's bedroom was what you'd call a mud room because there was a door right there that went up almost, almost like a ladder, but it was steps to the backyard. It was like the, another back door, you know, the take you go straight down to the basement. Well, me and my brother used to sleep in that room that was right off of that. And my brother was sleeping by the wall. I was sleeping on the on the outside of the bed. We were laying there one night, and Mom and Dad are still upstairs with Grandpa and all them. And that fruit cellar door started to open. So I think we were like, I think I might have been like nine, and my brother would have been like six seven, something around that age, where you start to feel or hear that door go across that heating vent, we went under the covers. You know, if we can't see it, it can't see us. My little brother, who to this day denies it, but he put his hands and feet on the wall, laying in bed. He's like, go get mom, dad. I'm like, I'm not getting out of bed. He starts pushing his hands and feet 
on the wall pushing me out of the bed. I remember just as I'm ready to fall out the bed, my feet hit the floor, um, boom, upstairs. My brother beat me up the steps. From behind me, he got, you know, so dad comes down, the fruit cellar door is wide open. You know, there's nothing going on, just the door opened. And for about three months after that experience, we would feel something in our room to the point where we'd be laying on the bed and you'd feel something sit on the bed. Like, you know, like if you were under the covers hiding and your dad sat on the bed, you'd feel it, you know, the bed compress. It did that every night for about three months. It got to the point where me and my brother could not go to sleep until it happened. Oh, wow. But again, other than the door, nothing physically moved in the room. It was just a sense that something was in there. And again, at nine years old, I didn't feel threatened. You know, I mean, I almost felt like maybe it's a guardian angel, but there was something that would, you know, in that house that would just, it, it like, it was checking on me and my brother before we can go to sleep. Wow. That's, that's interesting for sure. I mean, the, so, so it didn't, it, you just didn't feel threatened at all. You just felt no, calm. I, okay. The only thing that scared us was when that door opened. You know, that was the first time it happened. You know, it's like, oh, my God, what, you know. And there's just things like that happen inside the house. Outside the house is a different story. It, you didn't get that sense of it's okay. Um, you know, like my grandfather, we had, um, I don't know what you'd call it. I guess it'd be like a carport, but it ain't a carport. It was four posts and a roof out yeah. in the very back of his yard. And he had shelves in it, no walls, you know, just four posts in the roof. And, you know, he was standing out there one day and we're all out there. And my grandfather had, as for as long as I can remember, a receding hairline. So he used that old, old man stuff to gel your hair back. <laughs> Pomade. And, yeah, whatever, you know. <laughs> and he's standing there talking to us. And he goes, do you feel that? He described it like a sickle running right over the top of his head. We seen the hair move, but, you know, didn't like cut his hair or anything like that. Didn't see nothing other than his hair move. Now, if that was the wind, I think we all would have felt it. But it only happened right by that building on one corner. Um, a sickle went over the top of his head. That's how he described it. It felt like a sickle. That's like something the Grim Reaper carries around, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Which my grandfather had a couple of them. He was a gardener. He had a bunch of that stuff, you know. But, you know, it, it was just a different feeling outside versus inside. Well, I guess if you think a sickle's, I mean, unless that's what he used to shave his head. I mean, I can't even imagine making not. a. I can't imagine making a comparison to something that happened to be like a sickle. That's about well, as the only, the only reason I think he can do that is because the, not the one like the Grim Reaper on the pole, but he had those little handheld sickles inside, yeah, like you he, know, hanging like up he, in, inside that. Maybe he was looking right at that when he said it. 
but it still was a very uh, whoa. Wait a minute, sickle. I know that's you know? <laughs> like, golly, Grandpa. Um, wow. Um, so what? So did your did your uncles? Did they experience anything else other than that one sighting and then some, and then like the balls of light oh, and stuff? Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, well, my one uncle did, like I said, the other uncle, as long as I can remember growing up, never went back in the woods over there, but the uncle that was touched. And like I said earlier, you know, me and him were really close. I was really close with his son. And then there was my dad, you know, the four of us would, you know, go down to the canal there fishing uh, they taught us how to make lean-tos, and we'd stay out there and catfish all night. Well, I guess about two years after this happened with my uncle when he was touched, my dad and the uncle that was touched was down there. I don't know if they were fishing or going down there to fish, because um, from the main road, you can access the canal right there. If you walk about a half mile back, the canal wise comes into a Y. And if you're on the side of the canal that my grandfather's on, you go to the left and that takes you to that walk bridge, that footbridge where he was touched. They were walking back in there. I, I think they were going fishing. And this thing flat out just stepped out in front of them. You know, 25, 30 feet in front of them, blocking the path along the canal. And the, the canal's on their right. The woods would be on their left. And they seen it. My uncle knew right then and there what it was. This is my father's first time seeing it. Dropped their fishing gear and took off. So they turn around and they're running back down the path. So if they go straight, they hit the main road. But there's a shortcut to my grandfather's on one of these little roads to go through the woods. If you go to the right, it takes you a winding, a winding route will bring you right out to the edge of the street where my grandfather's house was. So they cut down that way, and up ahead of them again, this thing steps out, 25, 30 feet in front of them. They turn around, run back the other way like they're going to go back up to the path and go to the main road, it steps out again. Now, like you said, Shane, if it was going to get them, it would have got them. And and they're sure and they're sure it's the same one stepping out or not or just not another one. Uh, I don't know. I mean, Dad said he didn't hear the thing running along the woods. You know, in the woods along the side of him, it could have been another one. I don't know, but at this point, it's toying with him. You know, like a, a oh, game, yeah. capture the flag, hide and seek, tag. You know, whatever you want to call it. So this went on for about a half hour. So they finally get down where they take that road to the shortcuts of my grandfather's. And there's a fork in the road there. So they're squatting down in the woods, heavy breathing, trying to catch their breath, you know. Straight ahead of them is the, is the road that takes you straight to the end of my grandfather's street. Once you hit that street, 50 yards, you're in grandpa's front yard. There's a steel cable that stretches at the end of my grandfather's street across the road, the, the little dirt road they're on, keeping cars from going down there. And they finally just, they, they seen the thing off to the side of the road, not quite in the woods, but not quite on the road. 
and they both just kind of rose up and took off. Neither one of them remember passing it, and neither one of them remember hitting that steel cable. But they go running into grandpa, you know, my grandfather's house, collapsing on the floor, breathing heavy, you know. <laughs> and that was my dad's introduction to the Grassman. Wow! And what did, like, what did um, what did these what did those guys think they were seeing? Just an animal, or what? Well, they they called it the Grassman. Okay, and. As far as we knew, there wasn't an Ohio grassman. We found out years later that they've been called the grassman since the 1800s. You know, we didn't know the, like, there was no internet back then. So, you know, it's like, it's, I don't know if they thought it was an actual Bigfoot or if it was, uh, you know, some other sort of creature, monster, whatever you want to call it. I mean, we're all we're all pretty much of the mind that the grass man and Bigfoot's the same thing. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. They just they just in their mind didn't realize they that they were. Yeah, the this thing. is all before um, in search of with Leonard Nimoy and the Patterson Gimlin film. Well, the Gimlin film was from film before it, but I mean, it wasn't. They didn't. I you think back be, then you had two two TV channels. You know what I mean? <laughs> we had we had three. Oh come on. Okay, three. We had three. Well, I know I had three when I was growing up, but this is in the you know fifties, sixties. Oh, jeez, oh, yeah. You know, yeah. so I I know they had a lot of radio shows back then. You know, <laughs> I, I remember growing up and Grandpa still listening to radio shows, and I'm like, "There's a TV right here. We don't have to listen." You know. But, you know, the difference of times, I guess. Yeah, now people are just listening to us. So there you go. <laughs> I know that's what I do. I mean, <laughs> I just got a list of podcasts I run through each night, you know. Yep. So, and, and it's funny because I know a, a story that you're going to talk about in uh, how much of this is centered around the Erie Canal. And we have talked about how you could travel basically from Cleveland to Cincinnati down to the Ohio River along yep. waterways and never be never be seen. And yeah. you gotta think that the Erie Canal I mean, because the Erie Canal was not used that long. It probably took took longer to build it than it was actually used. Yeah. And I mean, they probably found that a great way to travel the Erie Canal, for sure. Well, they always follow waterways. Remember that that thing from Boggy Creek? You know, they always follow the waterways. And it makes perfect sense because every animal has to have water and predators are going to congregate at the water. Yep. And I I don't believe this thing eats, I mean, I'm sure it does, but it doesn't live off of eating grubs. I'm sorry. It has to eat more than insects and and small game. I mean, I'm a firm believer in it. it'll it'll kill a deer, you know. It'll, but you know, I still don't consider that malicious. It's survival, you know. Yeah, uh, obviously, yeah. There's no doubt about that. I mean, we're. I mean, if we're gonna go out and hunt as a human, how can we look at an animal, something as for an animal, as being malicious just because they? can kill a deer a little bit differently than what we do. 
you can't tell me if Jason, if you were out hunting, if you couldn't grab a deer and r- rip its neck off, you wouldn't rather do that than shoot it, right? It would be more efficient. Yeah. <laughs> I just thought you'd say, I thought you'd say it'd be a lot more fun, but whatever. No. <laughs> so, so what, so what other types of experiences then did your uncles um, and your, your, your grandpa have? As, as far as I know, I mean, they told me they heard sounds and things like that, but that was as far as the experiences with them go. If there's more, I don't know them, but it carried over to me and my cousin and brother. I mean, we started having them and me and my cousin more so than my brother. Um, I don't know what it was about him, but he, he had basically two encounters and he wouldn't go back in the woods after that. Um, the first one, uh, again, we were staying with my grand, my grandfather, my uncle was living there at the time and my dad had worked at a gas station for a second job up the street. Well, we had taken food to my dad, my mom, me and my brother, and we were coming back home and we pull in the driveway, go inside. And one of the things me and my brother used to do is one of us would take the coats down the basement. It didn't have to be all of us taking our coat down. One person would take all the coats down. Mm -hmm. And it was supposed to be my brother's turn to take the coats down. And he's like, Bob, will you, will you take the coats down? I don't want to go down. I'm like, no, it's your turn. You know, I'm just being the jerk big brother, you know? So he opens the basement door and starts down and I, he couldn't have hit three steps and he let out a blood curling scream. I mean, I can't think of a guy having a voice to go this high. Now, granted, he, like I said, he was only probably at this time, uh, seven, you know, I mean, and he dropped the coats, ran upstairs. My uncle and grandfather are sitting in the living room, 10 paces from the basement door. Me and my mother are in the kitchen, which is just on the other side of the basement door. He screams, runs up the steps. My mom runs from one direction. My grandpa and uncle run from the other. And he's like, I seen two legs standing outside the window. Because remember, I said there's a window right at the bottom of the steps. So my grandfather went to the front door. My uncle went to the back door. Nothing. Nobody there. So my brother is swearing this happened. He's not making it up. He's not lying. He, you know, they were standing there. So things calm down. Mom takes us downstairs an hour later or so to go to bed. Dad's due home in a little bit. Well, he was on a motorcycle at the time. And he come down the street, turned into the driveway, and you could hear it was a little Honda 200, not a big bike. And you could hear it come in the driveway, and then you hear it rev up and take off. Well, he takes off through the backyard. Then you hear him fly back up the driveway, and you hear it go down the street. Then you hear it come back, park, and he comes in the house real quick. Well, at this time, you know, we're hearing this. Mom hears the bike take off. We all go upstairs. He's... By the time we get upstairs, he's already in the process of telling my uncle that the dang thing was standing right back about 50 feet past the end of the driveway. So he went to chase it through the backyard. Well, he didn't know exactly what it was when he turned the corner. You just see a shadow in the backyard. 
and my grandfather had about a four and a half foot fence at the end of his yard. There was a garden in that fence. This thing just kind of in mid stride went over the fence. So that's when he turned around and went back because right behind my grandfather's property, there was an old farmer's lane that went in between his property and a farmer's field, which was right on the other side of the lane. Well, dad got down there when he went around the, on the road and realized I can't see anything off the road. I'm coming back, you know, and you know, that was just my brother's first experience with it. He swore it was the grass man's legs. At that time, we never seen the grass man. We didn't know if it was, but dad chasing something an hour later out of the yard kind of made us all think that, yeah, the grass man's got close to home now. Oh, boy. You guys, uh, you guys can't get away from this thing. I don't know if I want to. I, I say that now, but if I'm standing and see the thing, I'm running like a little coward. But <laughs> I mean, it. here's the thing with it. It's scarier and I'll get out going through it. But when it's over, it's exciting. And you kind of almost want to do it again until it happens again. And then you don't want to do it. Like Christmas it's at like the post thing. office is what that's exactly yeah. you're describing. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you, you look forward to it when it's happening. You're scared. You're trying to figure out how to get out of it when it's over. How do I make that? How do I get that adrenaline back? You know, that, that <laughs> I guess it'd be the same thing as people going to haunted houses on Halloween. You, you want to feel scared. You want to, and to me, it'd be almost the same thing because like I said, if the thing wanted to get any of us, it would have on several occasions. But nah, my dad and nah. uncle used to take us back in the woods. We're going to go find a grass man. And we'd go back there for hours and not see a sign of it. But if we nah. go back there and fish or goof off, it would let us know it's there. Really? So it, so you feel like it knew when you were coming looking for it. And it just, like it sounds to me like this thing has a, like you said, like it's just messing around with you guys yeah, the whole time. It's got a very sick sense of humor. <laughs> but, I mean, my uncle and cousin, you know, his son would be back here fishing and get rocks thrown at him. Not Nothing big, you know what I mean? You know, little, yeah. like, pea pebbles, you know, thrown at him, getting hit, you know. But that would be it. It would never... They're sitting right on the edge of the, the canal. It could have came out and grabbed any of them. There's like a four-foot path. That's it. Between the canal and the woods. It would have been nothing for it to come out of the woods, grab them, and take them back, and that'd be it. But it never did anything like that. Wow. That's um, – I. So you. so at what point have you guys – did your uncles and dad, I mean, did they ever just become okay with it? Yeah. Like, like the, yeah, I mean, it, it got to the point during that time we were all okay with it. You know, we'd sit out in the backyard and pitch dark just to see if we could hear something and not to try to track it down, not to try to, you know, do anything to it, but we wanted to, you know, hear it get a sign of it. You know, 
I mean, there's other stories my dad had told us that I'm not real good on the details, so I don't know them all. But, you know, my dad could fill five of your shows and probably still not tell everything that happened. But there was one time there was me, my dad, my uncle, my cousin, my brother, and then my other uncle who would visit quite often, but I don't know that ever had an experience. We were all going to go down the canal. And here's the thing. My dad and uncle had planned on scaring me and my cousin. They had this all planned out. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. So I got you. We, we go down there. Now, we took the road that's right. Like, you walk out my grandfather's front door, turn left, and don't take the bend. It just goes straight. You're on this, I don't know if you'd call it a, a utility road or not. Because back in these woods, there was all these pump houses. I don't know if it controlled the level of the, the Erie Canal or what. But there's like four or five of them down there. You know, just like little shacks that had wells, you know, they opened and closed at various times and so forth. So there's five or six of us down there. And for some reason, it happened that my cousin and my dad got paired off. And me and my brother and my uncle got all grouped up. So that right there should have sent me some sort of signal. You know what I mean? That they're, they're planning some you know shenanigans right now. So we're down there and we go separate directions and my dad screamed, Oh my God, there it is. So we come running back and during all this, my other uncle has wandered off. The one that's not normally part of the group has wandered off. So automatically, you know, we're, th- you know, me and my cousin are thinking there's the monster. He's the one who's not here dad screamed he's seen it you know this whole thing's about uh we're waiting for my uncle to jump out you know and we you know we're sitting there and you know my cousin's like i didn't see it but your dad said it was like that tall pointing at this branch is like 20 feet in the air which is a gross exaggeration and they're sitting there and they're, they're trying to play along but you can almost see a sense of urgency on my uncle's face because he's like, you know, where's Henry? Well, they can't, we can't find Henry, you know, the other uncle. And now it went from their whole demeanor went from playing around and trying to experiment to real concern. Like how did Henry walk off? You know, cause he just up and vanished and nobody knew where he was. We don't have flashlights. You know, we're going strictly off moonlight and knowing the path and you know, it's, it started to escalate really quick that something might be wrong. So my dad and uncle tell us if anything happens, follow the road to grandpa's house. And we're sitting there and my grandfather's neighbor had a, a dog that would constantly follow anybody down that went to the canal. The dog loved to go play in the swamps, loved to go, you know, chase whatever it chases down there. So we're all kind of squatting down off the path and we hear this dog yelp. And if I'm lying, I'm dying right now. This arm, the dog starts coming out of these weeds and this arm, I can see like from the forearm to the hand comes out of the woods and swats the ass end of this dog, lifting it up and spinning it around in midair 
this dog landed on all fours and beeline back toward my grandfather's house or his house, you know, right next door to my grandfather's. And my dad and uncle look at me, look at my brother, look at my cousin and say, we're going to find Henry. If Stay right here. If anything happens, beeline right to grandpa's. So we can hear them chomping off in the woods, you know, in the weeds. And I'm like, me and my cousin are like, we're not going to sit right here. <laughs> there's woods behind us. There's woods in front of us. Let's get to a path. So we go to the fork in the road. And along this road is white rock, not pebbles, not giant rock, but maybe the size of a golf ball or better. So my cousin comes up with this idea that we'll do like what we've seen on National Geographic, that animals will put themselves in a circle. So I stood facing the road that went to my grandfather's. My cousin faced the road that went further into the canal and my brother faced the road that had the shorter path to the main road. We're standing there. My brother's staring off. We're in his direction. We're all looking our directions and we hear something behind me coming toward my brother's direction in the woods. We turn that way. This thing gradually just walks across the road, slightly hunched over, a slightly conjugal head and arms that go past their knees. Like their hands would be, their fingertips would be below their knees. My brother drops his rocks, literally, mentally and physically. <laughs> Me and my cousin start firing these rocks at this thing. Now, they're, they're really bright white rocks. We can see the rocks hit this thing. Now, granted, we were 12 years old. You know, we're not like Major League Baseball players. We were thrown as hard as we could, but let's be realistic. How hard is that really? You can see the rocks hit this thing. You can hear the thud of the rocks hitting and go just never break stride, never makes an aggressive mood. It turns toward us slightly, but goes down in, into the woods. So we're, it's heading toward my grandfather's now, you know, that direction. We stand there for a minute. We don't hear a growl or a roar, but more like a um, a grunt, but a real deep, menacing, like you could feel it, grunt. So we took off. The shortest route out of the woods was to the main road. So we're screaming all the way there. We get to the main road. We go out. There's a parking lot there, uh, Firestone tire and rubber plant was right across the street the, out of the main road. We crossed the main road. We don't even stay on the side of the street that the woods are on. We crossed the main road and we're screaming for my dad and my uncle. We can hear my dad and uncle hollering for us. But, you know, we just keep screaming. Hopefully they'll come the right way. We're telling them, you know, we're on this road, we're on this road, we're on this road. Dad comes out of the woods. We come up to him and He's like, where's your uncle? And I'm like, you guys are looking for me. He's like, no, your uncle Dick, where's he at? And I'm like, he never came out. So at this point, dad hollers for my uncle who answers. So dad tells us, take the main road, walk around, go back to grandpa's. He goes back in, you know, into the woods to where my uncle's at. 
takes us about a half hour to walk down the main road and up the block and everything to get to my grandfather's house. We're trying to tell my grandpa what happens or what happened. And my dad and uncle come walking in. Well, my dad's shirt's ripped. We don't exactly know if he caught it on a piece of, you know, like a branch, but his shirt's ripped and his chest is ripped. And it took a while for him to tell me, but he said they were squatting down and this thing moved him. Just physically pushed him out of the way and took off. He said it didn't grab him. It didn't throw him. It didn't, you know what I mean? It just shoved him, but it ripped his shirt and it took off, you know, across the road and into the woods. Well, at this time we still can't find my other uncle. So my dad and uncle grab guns and go back down. Now they're now me and my cousin and brother are really freaking out. You know, our dads are down there with whatever this is. They have a loaded, they have loaded guns now, you know, an hour later, they come back. They had no more sign of my uncle, no more sign of the, whatever, you know, the grass man, anything found out my uncle, we started through the woods, turned around, walked out, went home, never told any of us, you know, we found him at home the next day. So, you know, we were a little upset with my uncle at that point. You know, I didn't go to get on there and play no games, you know. But that was that was my biggest interaction with it, you know, where I actually physically saw it. And that's where I go back to if it would have got us, it would have. I mean, we pounded it with rocks. And it grunted at us. So I, it, I just it's can't. Not I can't like it I, did anything I, I can't get over it putting its hands on your on my dad, dad on your dad and mm-hmm. your uncle like yeah. it's just like well my uncle didn't get touched he was touched the first time you know back at the yeah Wolver- yeah that's what earlier yeah that's but what I'm saying I almost like, think I almost think you know remember I told you we found those nests we used to find those all the time we never put the two and two together I almost think that dad was in between it and where it wanted to be. And it just kind of walked by and shoved him, but it shoved him enough to rip his shirt and put a red mark on his chest. Not a scratch, but a red mark. So, you know, and so how didn't tell us that right away. So well, how did that affect him? How, how did that affect um, him? That night or later? I mean, obviously that night I see my dad had this thing growing up, I never seen my dad afraid. I never seen my dad back down from anything. The bigger the challenge, the bigger he stepped up. You know, it, it, that just might be my perception of my dad. To me, he's my hero. You know what I mean? But I, I never seen him back down. And my uncle did three tours in Vietnam. He was the, the biggest, excuse the term, badass that I know. You know, he was a Marine that did three tours in Vietnam. Um... He had that that Marine mentality. You know, I'm going to go all ahead full, you know, no matter what. You know, that, that just that mindset. And for them to come back and grab guns, I think that's what messed with my, my psyche the most. Because before it was stories and, you know, rocks and sticks being thrown and a few cold spots we'd feel 
when we'd walk back here where your hair would stand up. I mean, not to mention the odor, but it just, there was nothing physically threatening about it until that night. So I stayed out of the woods probably a year, year and a half. I wouldn't even go down there fishing. As far as me and my cousin, we'd go out to the farmer's field behind my grandpa's yard. That's as far as we'd go. We would not venture down to the junkyard. We would not venture out in the woods. If we wanted to go fishing, we'd go to Portage Lakes. We wouldn't go down the canal that was five minutes from us. <laughs> so a lot of things changed for me that night. And, of course, if we weren't going down there, you know, Dad worked. He, he wasn't going down there because, you know, it'd be Friday night. It'd be, hey, let's go fishing. Well, let's go to Portage Lakes, Dad. So he knew that it it, it messed with me. You know what I mean? Um, it wasn't until about three years later that we were walking down the road, and there was a, an old sand quarry there that they filled in with concrete. And you'd see giant concrete slabs sticking up out of the ground. So me and my cousin walked up on that. Now, there's a clearing here, okay? It's not woods. This is right alongside the road. The woods are probably 75 yards further back, so we felt safe. So we're looking around here, and you could see, like, holes in between the concrete, you know, like where the slabs don't match. You know, they they just, like, dumped them down, and there was air spaces. And this one just looked ginormous. And it looked all padded down. So I'm sticking my head down there. Now, mind you, it's daylight, but once you get where you're looking, not up and down, but left or right inside these cavern, this cavern thing, you can't see nothing. It's pitch black. But the ground's all weighted down and flattened out, and like something's down there. So we climb out of there, we're standing there, and there's rocks being thrown at us again not big ones so we start to walk from there right to the road you know because we know okay we it's back you know as we're walking back to the road we stumble on this footprint it's a three-toed footprint probably 20 21 inches long maybe four or five inches wide and about four inches deep and now this is not mud, it's dirt, but, you know, we're walking and we're barely leaving shoe impressions in the dirt. And this is that defined of a track. And it was the only one because there was grass next to it, almost like it stepped there, then went up into the grass. So this is before we, you know, we started even considering doing any type of research or anything. So we weren't doing a cast on the Bigfoot print or anything like that so we went back got my uncle took him down there told him we found this footprint and he's like yeah okay sure you know he comes down looks at it and goes I don't want you guys back in the woods anymore I mean flat out I don't want you back in the woods anymore this is the guy who just took us out you know a year year or two earlier to scare us showed us how to you know build these lean-tos how to set up catfish lines after he was touched. Now he's telling us, don't go back in the woods. From the three-toed footprint. Yep. Yep. Do you want me to tell you why? 
I'll tell you, I, I know why. <laughs> I know now. I didn't know then. But, you know, so he called my he called my dad and said, look, the, the guy, the boys found a footprint. Um, why don't you come over to the house tonight? Now, mind you, I told you I saved my grandfather basically all summer long. That was my summer. I love to be over there. I just, I love the house. I love the feelings. I, you know, I just, I like being there. It was never dull, <laughs> as you could tell. But so my dad comes over and I'm like 16 at this time, 15, 16 years old. So my dad and uncle, they have a six pack of beer with them. And we take them back, show them the footprint. And my dad and uncle just kind of look at each other. I said, but that's not the weird thing. Come here. So now we got flashlights. And we go over and we look like, you know, these, this has been filled in for years. They know about it. Okay. But they never went up and played around in it like we did. And we showed them that big hole in the concrete, you know, where they didn't match up. And I said, look at how padded down the dirt is. So he shines his light down there. Now, this whole time, we're, we're getting rocks thrown at us, but not hitting us, okay? <clears throat> Just as my dad gets on all fours and looks down this hole, this rock that must, that must have been 25, 30 pounds lands two foot from his head. It doesn't roll. It just lands with a thud and doesn't move. So to me, that tells me it came from straight up and down. You know what I mean? It didn't get thrown where it could have hit, tumbled, rolled. It came up and down. Now, the woods are 75 feet, 75 yards, something like that, away from at least 75 feet. I know that. Away from where we're at. So something threw this rock that landed two foot from my father's head and the rock didn't roll. It just landed with a thud. My dad and uncle let the six pack of beer sit there. This is where we found out about gifting guys. Let the six pack of beer sit there and we walk at a high rate of speed, not run, walk down the main road to my grandpa's house. The whole time rocks are being thrown at us. Smaller ones, not hitting us but landing and rolling in front of us, you know, like I still see you, you know, keep on going type thing. Uh-huh. And that was the last time that my dad went down there. He said, he's not going back down there. He's done. It made it very clear that it didn't want him there. And he took the warning seriously. And it wasn't until um, 1995 that he went back down there with those Bigfoot researchers which Jody Cook was one of them. Um, wow. So let's go back to the three-toed footprint. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I don't believe that's a Bigfoot that made that, right? I do. You do? Yes. And let me tell you why. Okay. Okay. I can um, Cause I, cause I immediately went to dog man. Okay, see, I didn't go to Dogman with that because it's a foot, not a paw. I've heard okay. of Dogman. I've been a little bit. Look, I'm going to be honest with you. Up until three weeks ago, I knew nothing about the Dogman. I heard the stories, but I automatically went to the Beast of Bray Road, which I thought was just a movie. I didn't know there was actual <laughs> werewolf sightings. So that, that tells you that I'm not 
by any means an expert on any of this, but did you guys ever see the legend of Boggy Creek? Yeah. The three toed footprint. So, okay. Well, now it's almost like, I believe it's a Bigfoot species, but it's not 10 foot tall in Akron, Ohio. So you think it's a smaller version in southern Arkansas? Okay. I almost think they grow to their environment, but of everything I've ever read, the three-toed Bigfoot are the ones that I don't want to say are violent because I don't look at them as being violent, but they're more um, mischievous. And that's kind of what I look at the Grassman as. Now, down in southern Ohio, they're five-toed footprints. They're bigger. I don't look at that as a grass man. That's a full-blown Bigfoot. So you're, okay. So, up, my grandfather's was about seven, seven foot tall. So you're believe, so you truly believe then that even though they're the, maybe the same creature theoretically, like, but there's the different versions are vastly different as far as yes. like what yeah. is in the type of area. Okay. I mean, it gives be the same with a human. You know, the, yeah. the different races, yeah. and, you know, that's kind of how I look at it. Yeah, that's, that's, I mean, you're the, I mean, you guys saw the three-toed footprint. I didn't, you know, I I'd, I mean, that would be, I, I wouldn't know what to think if I saw and the three-toed. It's not, the, the three-toed footprint, it, it, you say three-toed, people automatically go to like a web foot. It's nothing like a web foot. It's a normal footprint. But three toes versus five. They're not yeah. like spread out. The three toes are not spread out. They take the length of, you know, the width of the foot. But it's three toes versus five. Hmm. You know, and it's, so, it's, that's the only footprint I ever saw. If my dad or uncle seen them, I don't know. But whatever that footprint, it set something off with my uncle. <laughs> he flat out said, I don't want you guys going back in here alone anymore. That's it. No more. Which is, and, and he never explained himself, like, what, no. why all of a sudden he... And he passed away a couple years later, you know, in a car wreck. So, I never got to pick his brain. And according to my dad, he never seen a footprint other than that one. You know, and... The, 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 the strangest thing about this whole thing, Shane, and this is the story I got into you with you earlier. I don't know if it was the state of Ohio or the Parks Department or what came up with this brilliant idea to put in the Ohio Erie towpath, you know, towpath. Yep. Um, the main path that I said you could walk along the canal has been there since my dad and uncles were young, okay? They blacktopped that. And where it comes down to a Y at the canal, it, the towpath goes across the canal. It's like on a floating bridge. And it does that along the Firestone property coming from Summit Lake. It's a floating bridge at that point. <laughs> Excuse me. But... Uh, and then it picks back up land and goes through Barberton 
um, you know, all the way down. But when it has to cross the canal, it doesn't, they don't build like a concrete bridge going over the canal. It's like a floating bridge that goes over it. They could have done that and left the woods intact. It wouldn't have caused a problem. So they started putting this in and they started like at the Summit Lake area working down toward, you know, Canton and all that working south. And they got to the part where the the woods are and they started working and they stopped for a whole year. They worked like four weeks and then pulled all their equipment out and stopped and then came back next year to finish it up. Well, in the meantime, some genius with the planning department of the city of Akron decided we'll just open up all these wells and flood all that. So all that woods up to about 200 feet to the junkyard is underwater. And you never, and you've never been able to find out why. Officially, no. I had some friends, and I, I'm not going to mention their name, but they were high-ranking officials with the Akron Police Department. I mean, not elected officials, but they had high rank with the Akron Police Department. And these are guys that I've known for 20 plus years. And they told me that they kept getting calls from first the construction company that was doing it that people were vandalizing their equipment, ripping hoses off their equipment, um, ripping the seats off their equipment, ripping the treads off the dozers, you know, the tracks. Oh, Um, yeah, because that's easy to do. Yeah, you know, like vandals would have no problem. A couple guys just grabbed that and pulled that over. You know, no big deal. So they hired a security company to sit back with their equipment. That lasted two days. And the two guys sitting in their car quit. The security company could not get anyone to go back down there and sit to watch the equipment. Um, They basically broke their contract. Wow. And then they flood all this. And then they go back after it's all flooded and finish the work. So I wonder why they thought the flooding would keep out whatever it is that was uh, that was well, doing that. My dad, my dad thinks it still goes back in there. I don't know how. I mean, the night that we were all down there before we went to the, you know, where the rock was thrown at my dad, we walked down the main road that goes all the way past the junkyard down to that footbridge, and we're standing there, and there's like a marshland off to one side, the opposite side of where the canal's at. And we heard limbs breaking and I don't mean twigs. I mean, limbs. (laughs) That part's not flooded, but just to me, that's not enough. That's not enough land to keep it there. You know what I mean? It, it might be a spot for it to go back and spend the night, but it's not going to live in that. I mean, it might be, 75 square yards. It's not real big back in there. Hmm. But my dad seems to think it still goes back there. I don't. But they just, they they wiped all this out. I mean, the entire, 
the pump house my grandfather's was torn down um the junkyard was under new ownership they got one hell of a deal to basically put concrete walls behind their property i don't know if it's to stop the water from coming there or you know some other reasons but i mean it just <laughs> but it goes back to my belief that I believe the federal government, local governments know these things are there. Really? So I now park services know they're there. <laughs> so do you think now how close is this to to like the city limits of Akron? Um, okay, I'll tell you what. Um, I'm not sure how far how familiar you are with it. I know people can't go back here and mess around now, so I'll just give it up to you. The boundaries of the woods that, you know, I grew up and played in, had these encounters, is North Main Street or South Main Street, Wilbeth Road, Waterloo Road, and Manchester Road, State Route 93. Oh, okay. Uh, Firestone Stadium, where the softball Firestone or the Akron Racers played, is right down literally caddy corner from this. If you come down, like say you bring, come up the highway, you get off of Main Street. When you get off the highway, turn left on Main Street, go down to Wilbeth Road, make a left. Once you get on the bottom of the hill, look to the left. And you can see the water. It's flooded up right up to that. They, I mean, there's a parking lot that they use for Firestone for the trucks to park in. And it's water all back there. Now, there's still that towpath in between the flooded water and the Erie Canal. But they just they flood. And it has an eerie prehistoric look to it now because there's dead trees growing you know, are still upright. You know what I mean? It almost looks like a newer version of the Everglades. And so it was close. It's close enough right there to what's going on every day in civilized, in civilized downtown Akron that they needed to get rid of whatever was, was there. That's what I think. Yeah. I mean, there was police reports made, as far back as the seventies about something being back there and cops wouldn't go back there without shotguns and more than four or five cruisers. To me, I thought that was for protection from the grass man. I know now that cops ain't going to go in the woods without shotguns. Now, anyway, if they're called out there, you know what I mean? So (laughs) it, it has nothing to do with what I thought it was, but it just, I, I was furious about it. And then when Jody Cook, I mean, he even came up and went out with me and my dad in 95. And then he did the episode of the Ohio Grassman from Monster Quest. And in between that time, he says in Monster Quest that he had came back up to Akron to see if he could find any more nests. And it was so overgrown, he couldn't remember where he was going in there. So it was a thriving wooded land. You know, I mean, it was... It wasn't that the woods were dying, you know. So within two years, from 95 to 97, he came back up here to try to 
find more nests or find evidence or, you know, anything. And he couldn't remember where he was going in there because it was so overgrown. Well, that just, I I, I see what you mean though, by, by that arousing the suspicion of you thinking this, at least the city government knows what's going on in their city, you know? Yeah. But I mean, it's just, you hear like these national parks, okay. Like Yellowstone, they got bear there. They got signs all over the place. Don't feed the bear, you know, all that. They know people in bear interact, but they don't close the park. But now you have these park areas that are chaining up paths to go into the woods, you know, for no apparent reason. And there are excuses. There's a bear in the area. You're like at Yellowstone National Park. Of course there's a bear. You know, so I'm a firm believer in, you know, at least the park service knowing they're there. And until the government basically comes out and says, okay, yeah, these are real. They're going to have to do whatever they can to keep it on their end as hush-hush as possible. I can't argue with you. I mean, that's a – I find it hard to believe um, with so many untrained, uneducated in, in, you know – geology and science and stuff uh, how many people have seen and experienced and witnessed these things that the people that really know what they're doing out there can't find these can't figure out where these things are at and find them i almost you know? think the scientific community is not allowed like maybe they know maybe there's some scientists well, i know there are some scientists that that investigate it and research it and i mean come on they had that show on where they blew up and slowed down and enhanced the Patterson Gimlin film. And I don't know. I think everybody out there has seen like at least one or two cheesy Bigfoot movies where it's obviously a costume. It's obviously just so, you know, B style movie that, okay. I mean, even Chewbacca looked more real, but in the fifties, when the Gimlin film was filmed, I don't know if you've ever seen monster movies or old horror movies from that era. They didn't look nothing like that. No, they I mean, all showed that Patty has a butt crack now. Nobody faked a butt crack. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, they often they often said when the when the Patterson Gimlin film came out, and I think it was the sixties, that Planet of the Apes was the the movie that was out with the state of the art um, costume design. And I can tell you, there's nobody that is confusing one of the planet of the apes, Dr. Zayas with uh, Patty, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, it's, that's not even close, you know, but you know, here's the thing. And, and the way the world is today, if the government out, come out and says, okay, Bigfoot's a real, how many people are going to even pay attention? Um, probably. I mean, the about, ones that are interested in it. Yeah. If you're not interested into it, oh, big deal. So what? We've di- we've discussed it on numerous shows about the f- disclosure about UFOs and how little people really cared. Yeah. Well, they buried so much information in that. 
I, I was one of those people who tried to read it on the internet. I got but I mean, but I mean, just them coming out and saying, "Yeah, we have off-world vehicles in our possession." Nobody even cared. Nobody even asked a question at that press conference. Yes. Like, and, eh, you know, my okay. brother, my brother that had this happen to him with me, now holds a government job, and he's got a little bit of rank in it. And I've asked him flat out, "What's the story with UFOs? They don't exist. They're not real." But I also know he had to sign that disclosure. <laughs> you know what I mean? He, he's in that field. I, I can't come out and I don't want to cause any problems. I don't want to, you know, but he's in that field. That's a well, civilian job. Okay. He's not, you know, but it's, it's a government paying job. Well, I don't know if I ever um, disclosed this on any of our shows, but um, when I first got to know the Ozark Howler, and we were, you know, I mean, he has an extensive background in the federal government, including being an air marshal and homeland security. And uh, I asked him, I said, you got to know something, right? And he's like, well, what do you mean know something? And I go, like about UFOs or Bigfoot. And he goes, he goes if you're asking me, I open, if I ever opened up somebody's desk drawer and there was a file that said Bigfoot is real, he goes, no. He goes, I've never seen, he goes, I've never seen any of that stuff. And I go, I can't believe, you know, I was just, I think we all have this romantic notion that maybe somebody knows something, but he often sets me straight. He goes, if you think the government knows anything, you're, uh, you're crazy. He goes, because it was what, if, what we think of as the government doesn't exist. Exactly. Yeah. He goes, it does not exist. And he goes, and if you really think that they uh, are, are able to or capable of conspiracies or cover-ups in any way, shape, or form, he goes, that's, he goes, that's a real stretch. He goes, they can't even get the payroll right. <laughs> well, Imagine. here's my thing on that. The government in the whole probably could not do that. Yeah. But yeah. one division of the government can cover up their mistake or cause something, you know, and the other one, the other divisions don't know about it. That's how things are done. I, that's my opinion. I'm not. And it's a very, I mean, I used to it's a very, I used to, very small scale. You know, it's not as yeah, far yeah. reaching in. Um, I mean, um, I, I used to host an online radio show handling this sort of thing, and blog talk since certain things have happened have deleted all my archives. But I called the coronavirus pandemic nine years ago. I didn't call it coronavirus, but I said this is what's going to happen. There's going to be this pandemic that's not as bad as what the government's portraying. But the American people are going to make it worse than what it is and cause it to escalate and kind of nail the, you know, hit the nail right on the head with that. You know, I'm not saying the pandemic wasn't real, but if people would have took the precautions they needed to take sooner, I don't think it would have blown up as bad as it did. Again, it's my opinion, but. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's that's everybody's entitled to their opinion for sure. You know, and. uh and anybody that argues that, well, I mean, what's what's their basis for arguing that? You know, yeah, I mean, exactly. I mean, there's not really. I mean, so 
But the problem is, is nobody believes anything anymore. There's exactly. been so much shade thrown on anything that it's hard to, it's hard to believe. I mean, it's hard to believe statistics and, and anything that gets thrown your way that is deemed official. So, you know, and sometimes it's, it's good to be skeptical, but other times it's just, yeah, I think you're pounding your head against the wall. Trying or to, you're, you know, you're feeding into the mass panic of it. You know what I mean? It's like <laughs> how much stuff went around the internet, you know, like, uh, like during the whole election thing that, that spiraled out of control. The, the pandemic on the internet spiraled out of control. And it's just like, you know, people, you read it on the internet does not make it true. I don't care what I mean, the commercial says. <laughs> I mean, if we could take a cat and make it a viral sensation because it, you know, yawns or something in a funny way on TikTok, then anything's <laughs> possible. <laughs> yeah, I refuse to. I get in so much trouble on Facebook. I, I'd hate to see what I could pull off on TikTok. So I'm like, no, I'll just avoid that altogether. So, so in your estimate, you know, cause I think, um, you heard, uh, the small town monsters and Seth Breedlove and those guys, the stuff they're doing, uh-huh. which is not far from where you're at. No, that's what, that's when I, I heard that episode and I'm like, Oh man, I got to talk to these people. I, you know, you can't even film anything do a documentary in the area where all my stuff happened because like I said, you got to be a scuba diver now. It's, but the Minerva, I mean, I, I love that whole subject and what is coming up that I know you mentioned. Yep. I don't know if it's, you know, up in the, uh, I think she said that, I think she said it on the show, so I should be able to say it. She's got to do research on the Jersey devil. Yep. yep. I am so waiting to see that one. Yes. In fact, I, um, we, and I just told Jason this in an upcoming show, we will be talking to a gentleman who has had some experiences in the Pine Barrens. I just, I just spoke to him yesterday. So I'm very excited about, uh, about that because I just am intrigued with that whole area. So I got to drive along the outskirts of it. I, I drive semi and it's like, I've been to the Pacific Northwest, got in a little bit of trouble up there with some other drivers doing Bigfoot howls. And, um, <laughs> you know, it, it's to me, this is my dream job, even though I gripe about it and moan and complain about traffic and deadlines. And, but to go like, that's the only thing about New Jersey. I like, I hate driving a truck in New Jersey, but if you get on the outskirts and those pine bearings, it's, beautiful it's like wait this is new jersey hold on wait a minute you you turn around go the other way and you're you know in the most crowded area in the world so yeah that's what's that's what's so intriguing about that is that um i mean it is in the middle of a lot of metropolitan you know it's it's surrounded by uh some some very big cities and to think that just Mm -hmm. like that you're out in the middle of a like a medieval forest so exactly it's very interesting so but it, but what really gets me is how many and i think jason will agree how many people we've talked to that in this part of ohio that you're at there's just sasquatch sighting after sasquatch sighting along with mm-hmm. some dogman sightings and it's 
having and I lived up in that area for a little bit, it just blows my mind because, um, I mean, it just does. I can't. There's no other way to say it, you know, because I'm used to like being in Canton and Akron and Cleveland and being on the highway, and to think that just a stone's throw, um, there's all this stuff happening in the out in the woods. Well, like over the summer, the rash of of Bigfoot reported sightings in Ashland, Ohio. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, Which is it's like, wait. Yeah. Which, but if you drive from Mansfield to Ashland, um, I can't think, is it 42 maybe? Um, yeah. It, it, there's parts in there where it's swampy and densely forested. And you can see that if something wanted to hide out, hang out for a little bit, there's well, plenty of plenty of space. I used I used to listen to um, Art Bell with my dad growing up, and the reason we got these Bigfoot guys contacted us to go down, you know, to the canal, we were hearing a story about um, I believe it was a Green Beret. It was some sort of special forces, either Green Beret or Army Ranger or might even have been a Marine Recon. But he was retired, and he went in these woods that by a few paths are the same woods that I my encounters happen, and stayed back there for 35 days, lived completely off the land, and was never seen or seen a human being the whole time he was back here. And he's like, you know, he was actually paid to do this. I don't know who paid him, but to see if something, you know, the size of a human or more could adequately survive and stay hidden in these woods. And he said, you know, a train runs through every four hours, just be away from the tracks and you would never, you know, you could disappear back in there. And to me, it's like, wait, those are the backyard woods, you know, and he proved that there was enough wildlife, you know, now granted they're trained to live off the land a little bit better than, you know, you or I would be, you know, I'm sure he ate his his fair share of grubs, but, you know, rabbit, pheasant, all that's back there. Wow. You know, there's deer back there, but I mean, it's just, so just to be that close to civilization and nobody know it doesn't seem as far-fetched things that was put in those terms. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. So when is the, you know, before we let you go here, when, when's the last time that you've had an experience? Um, I walked the towpath, me and my, at that time, my wife were having a problem. I went for a long walk stayed a few nights back in there before they flooded it. It was just still just the, the, you know, the pathway and nothing definite happened, but the feeling was there and you'd hear a noise and, you know, but nothing showed itself, no rocks, no anything like that. But to me that, that was an encounter because I grew up with that sort of thing, but the same feelings, the cold spots, the, you know, you think you hear something and you look that way and it's not there sort of thing. I don't know if it was my mind playing with me, but I'm calling it to me as it was an encounter without 
seeing it. And that gotcha. was, oh, 2004, 2004, 2005. So it's, so it's almost kind of, um, it's almost kind of sad that you can't go back to, to where you experienced all this stuff and kind of, yeah, it, it, and even my dad today says, I'd like to go back down there. Uh, you know, I, I would too. I'd like to relive it all. Like I said earlier, it was scarier than scary going through it. But when it was over, there was that sense of, I don't know if it was a survival mechanism. I survived it or excitement that what you just experienced, not everyone in the world's going to have, you know, not, 90% of the world's not going to have it. And I think that goes back to what we said earlier that I think it chooses who it interacts with. You know, yeah. whatever the interaction is, I think it's strictly, and that, that's what I tell people all the time. If you want to encounter a Bigfoot, don't go looking for it. If you think you have a Bigfoot in your area, don't set trail camps up in an area that you are not at all the time. I tell people all the time, if, if you think you, like if you walk down this a path or something and you constantly have the same thing happen to you in that area, set a trail cam there, but have it facing, if possible, where you came from, not where you're going to. And you'll have much better luck getting something that way versus, oh, wow, you know, I'm going to go out and put a bunch of trail cams in the woods that I don't frequent, that my sense not there all the time anyway. Because that's how I think they avoid, you know, wait a minute, there's a new scent in the area, I'm going to stay low. But yeah. if it's something that you're, if they're used to you, and you set something up, or even set them up on your property facing out, but sit out, have a bonfire if you normally do. Cook out on an open fire if you want to have an encounter. Make noise, you know, just be you. Don't act in. Don't. Chance. You know what? This sounds like good dating advice. Don't act like you're interested, right? And then they'll come yeah. to you. Yeah. <laughs> Remember that, Jason. Don't act like they're interested, and then they'll come to you. Jason's like, I, I'm not answering that. <laughs> <laughs> So can I ask you guys a quick question before we go? Yeah. I know sure. you ask it all the time, okay? And I know Wes asks it all the time on his show. I'd like to hear from both of you what you think a Bigfoot is. Or a Sasquatch or, you know. Jason, I'll let you go first. All right. Well, I actually think that it's uh, a physical being, but yet I think it's still uh, interdimensional. Uh, hence, we were talking earlier about how uh, you have Sasquatch and then maybe somewhere in that immediate area, somebody else might be seeing uh, glowing orbs. I just think there's a correlation there, and uh, and one day I hope we can find out what it is. I hope so. Yeah. So my, so my personal opinion is, is I think... These creatures are a combination of 
either First Nations or Native Americans somewhere down the line breeding with um, the earliest humans. And so I think when we see the spiritual part, that's the First Nation Native American aspect of these creatures that they possess, you know, the spiritual one with nature. And uh, I just think they're the, they're, they're a creature that is the best physically and spiritually of a couple different compatible species that happen to breed and they have just continued on. So that's kind of like the guardians of the will, the wood. Yeah. Is that, yeah. Something like that. Yeah. I mean, I just, I, I think that it, to me for the, you know, my crazy out there theory is, is that back when the United States, um, you know, as a country, we, we started shoving the, the Native Americans off their land, that uh, these creatures or these tribes were the one, they were somebody that with our capabilities back then, we could not defeat them. They were physically superior. They were, we, you could never find them. They could, you know, sneak up on you, kill you, whatever. That our government just said, okay, we, we're not going to defeat these guys. We're not going to push them. So we're going to come, we're going to create the national park system and give them a place to live in peace. And we'll stay out of their hair. We'll stay out of our, you know, they'll stay out of our hair, we'll stay out of their hair, so to speak, until, you know, the government decided, well, we're going to try to make as much money as we can off of the national parks <laughs> and natural resources. And that's where I think that these creatures are like, you know what, we're just going wherever we want. We want to go to Akron, yeah. Ohio. We're going to Akron, Ohio. <laughs> you know? the rubber capital of the world, man. <laughs> yeah. And I think that that's – I think that that is – is a reasonable explanation. Call me crazy, but I, I think that it's, if we're going to believe that the government knows about them now, I think it's something that they've known about for hundreds of years. And I just, I just feel like they're the way these creatures have interacted with native Americans and, and first nations up in um, Canada and stuff that it's, that they're either a tribe and unto themselves or, you know, a mystical creature that that um, kind of has a foot in both worlds, and maybe not literally a supernatural creature, but like I said, if we have we have people here that we talk to, if you if you're a psychic medium, to me you're kind of supernatural. You know, yeah. you may not be able to fly or see through steel, but if you can communicate with the dimension of beings or that we can't see or we can't the regular person that makes you kind of supernatural so yeah i'm not i'm not saying that these things are crawling into the next dimension or flying spaceships but i think that they probably have some supernatural abilities or qualities to them spiritually in or being you know they're being one with nature and stuff so but that's totally just my best guess <laughs> so well hopefully well, we're all still around when those you know 
one of ours gets to find out what it is. You know what I mean? Yes. It would be, hey, look, I, I mean, the experiences you shared with us on this episode, there's going to be a lot of jealous people out there. There's going to be a lot of people that say, how many pairs of underwear did you go through? But there's also going to be a lot of people saying, man, I'd love to be touched or I'd love to, you know, see a dog get smacked or just any of that stuff would be just insane. So, but, uh, I mean, I know Jason, I appreciate you sharing these experiences because like we said, we've, we've said a million times, if you don't come on and share what happened to you, then, you know, you heard the guy, you know, Johnny two bears say what happened to him and it, it, and it, and it verified some stuff for you. What if there's somebody else out there that saw their brother almost get touched and all this time they've been like, I'm not, I, I'm, that was just made up. I didn't really see that. And now they've heard somebody, <laughs> you relate that story. I mean, that's what it takes for people to come forward and say, man, I wasn't crazy. So, so we definitely appreciate that. So, well, so, I appreciate but, you letting me come on and tell them, man. It, it, it's therapeutic. I know I've told them to a few people and a couple of investigators I told, and then they wrote a book on it and changed mine and my dad's name and just kind of left a sour taste. And we're both like, yeah, we're not talking to anybody who, you know, is doing any type of research again. And that's when Jody Cook reached out and said, look, here's what these guys are doing. I just feel that you need a heads up on it. You know, he kind of let us know, Yeah. Mm-hmm. you know, what these guys were doing. And then I, there was an article in the Akron Beacon Journal about it. And that's when I'm like, oh, man, I got to go with the book. I want to make sure they didn't put our names in there, you know. But yeah. thank God they well, didn't. <laughs> we were already lining up attorneys to sue the crap out of them. Well, geez. No, we're, we, I'm glad that you, uh, I'm glad you reached out to us and, and thank you for coming on. And I think this is a great Christmas gift to all of our listeners. I think this is a great episode for once everybody gets their presents opened and, and is, is done with all the family stuff or better yet, gather the family around and, and listen to the show. And let's see. Light a fire in the fireplace, pop the popcorn. <laughs> That's got to be somebody else's tagline. I'm not using that. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, I, so, so Bob, I hope you and your uh, fiance out there are safe these last couple of days while you're driving. Hopefully you guys get to be home for Christmas. But uh, thank you for, uh, thank you for coming on and sharing with us. We appreciate it. Not a problem. I appreciate you guys having me on. You guys have a Merry Christmas, too. Yes, and you Thank too. You. And be safe Thank out there. You. Thank you. We'll do, sir. All right. All right. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of the From the Shadows podcast. Until next time, never shy away from the darkness or what may be lurking in the shadows. We are out.
At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.